It's time for Illini Pella Saturday Sports Talk on News Talk 1400, WDWS Champaign-Urbana, where we talk all things Illini along with other area national sports. Join the program by calling 217-356-9397 or send a text to the Castle Heating and Cooling text line 217-351-5357. You can also email us at talk at wdws.com. Now, here are your hosts, Lauren Tate and Steve Kelly. Good morning, sports fans, and welcome to Illini Fellow Saturday Sports Talk with you until 11 o'clock this morning. Starting things off with an open line, 3569397. If you'd like to jump in here, been an interesting, uh, busy week. Mr. Tate, how you doing? Doing good. We've got NBA coming back. We don't know about baseball. Lovey Smith spoke out a little bit yesterday. A lot of things going on, but uh, no games going on still. No, but the high schools are getting underway. You yep. know, as long as you bring your own water bottle, your own shoes, your own towels, your own personal stuff, and, and don't try to take a shower and stay away from the water cooler, I guess. But uh, anyway, uh, it's, it's the beginning. Keep the water coolers out of sight and not even on premises, I would guess, the way it is on the golf course these days. They don't even have them out. Limited to three hours. Mm-hmm. So at least they, the high school coaches and administrators got some uh, clarification on what they can do. And uh, as of today, as Lauren mentioned, they can do some of that. The NBA coming back uh, late July. Why so Explain to me, why does it take till July the 31st in England and, and Italy and those play, they're starting basketball on the 20th of June or whatever that date is. In other words, within two weeks, why does it take the whole month of June and the whole month of July to get ready to play uh, NBA basketball? Especially on a sport that you were in season when it was, you know, it wasn't like baseball that barely got started. Yeah. It's not yeah. like football, which was not going on. I, I agree with you, but uh, there must be some uh, scientific uh, Reason for that, maybe an injury situation. I don't know, but uh, I'm I'm with you. I, that was my first thought. Was seemed like they could get going a lot quicker than that. Well, but. I would sure think so, but I but obviously I'm wrong because maybe somebody can tell me why they, why it takes till July the 31st. You got 22 teams going to play. They're all going to play in one place. Maybe one of our. By the way, they're going down to Florida right at storm season. <laughs> maybe one of our guests later on in the show could tell us the answer to that. Brian Randall who works for the Minnesota Timberwolves, will join us. And he might have a good idea of why it is taking that long to do it, although the Timberwolves are not involved in the resumption of the NBA season. They're, they've only won 15 games on the season altogether. But our guest lineup coming up at 9.15, we'll talk a little bit about Illinois State football and maybe some IHSA issues as well. Jim Benson from the uh, Panagraph, he's been covering uh, – sports in central Illinois, collegiate and high school for a long time. Right, and, and you know, Illinois opens the season, and we're hoping that Illinois gets ready, is ready, and, and is, has everything organized. But you also have to have somebody to play, and it is Illinois State in that first game in early September. And, and so we just like to see how they're coming along because they don't have quite the support staff that Josh Whitman has to prepare this thing, you know, prepare these players and get them ready. They're coming off a good season. They won 10 ball games. They were 10-5 and five last year. They lost an outstanding running back due to graduation, but they've got a quarterback back, and their defense was pretty good. But they'll be a, they'll be a heavy underdog when they come to town on Friday, September mm-hmm. the 4th. 
I wonder we if the game will be played on Friday. I assume it will, since yeah. it's scheduled there. You will see some things change. By the way, did you see that the Notre Dame-Navy game yes. in Dublin has been canceled? Now, I'm asking you, what do you think about the Illinois-Nebraska game a year hence? Well, that's a year away, a year plus away, but I wouldn't feel very good about it. Uh, I just wouldn't, but you know, we were trying to figure out what's going to happen in two and a half, three months. I'm not sure yeah. what's going to happen in a year. That's right. Well, we can't. You can't judge, but a lot of things are being canceled, and we're just seeing one thing after another. Champaign County Fair is canceled. I mean, just one after another, big events are being either postponed or canceled entirely. Were you going to sing this year at the Champaign County Fair? <laughs> yeah, I would be happy to. <laughs> Nobody's there. <laughs> Do your Hank Thompson impression. Um, <laughs> yeah. How about uh, the NCAA and Oklahoma State basketball? They came down on the Cowboys pretty, uh, pretty hard. I think this is a, uh, an indication and a warning that uh, – we're going to see a lot more because now you got Auburn coming up, you got Arizona, you got uh, Kansas. Uh, you've got a, about another ten or eleven schools that are either have already received their letter or are going to. And it looks like, for instance, Kansas has got five major infractions. Oklahoma State had one. Lamont Evans. Pay was was paid about eighteen five eighteen thousand uh, dollars to help influence a player. By, I believe his name was Carroll, which I don't know much about. But in any and by the way, this all started in South Carolina when he was 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 working there, and and uh, and when he went to Oklahoma State, he was under Underwood. So the things that he did, it, it, the all they've got. Oklahoma State in violation of is the things that Lamont Evans did and it's pretty um, a lot of complaints about the fact that people being penalized now are people that weren't there when Lamont Evans you know when he did this the the players and the coaches weren't even there but nevertheless that's how the penalties are, are distributed I don't know how you do it if you don't just penalize you have to penalize the school and by penalizing school you're playing you're penalizing players who three years later weren't there Right. What happened? Yep. 906, we do have the phone lines open. Let's uh, take our first call of the show. Let's go to Sherry in Champaign. Good morning, Sherry. Good morning. Uh, we just got back last night from a senior, and most of them are in their 70s, senior softball tournament in Missouri. Really? Uh, they had a yes, and everything, as far as we know, went well. I mean, we stayed at a hotel. He played softball, or they played, the guys played softball. We ate at an indoor restaurant, um, 25% or whatever the percentage was, we were, you know, spaced apart inside in the restaurant. And as far as I know, uh, things went well. The umpire and the catchers had to wear a mask. Um, the players did not. The players in the dugout had to space apart, um, approximately six feet, I would say. The fans had to sit about six feet apart, five or six feet. The only ones um, I saw... Once in a while, uh, the head umpire, who wasn't doing a game, would come around and ask people, are you together? If not, would you spread apart a little bit? On a real casual type of uh, admonishment, I guess. But uh, other than the rain, seven-hour rain delay, um, everything went fine. And we're we're a little bit uh, rattled by the number of things our local park district has uh, cut out so far in advance. Uh, uh, there's no softball here at all this year. 
Um, in fact, I think some of the seniors are planning to play in Rantoul. Really? So, yeah, I think so. Rantoul has, uh, they're waiting on, I believe, uh, permission to play over there. And I think it's been given or pretty close to that, but there's none here. And uh, anyhow, it was a, it was a nice so time. So basically what you're telling me is the Park District of Champaign is, is uh, pretty much uh, dead this, for this season. Oh, pretty much mm-hmm. for, for the uh, team sports. Uh, uh, we were in Columbia, Missouri, four and a half hours away. A nice drive, not a bad drive at all, instead of it being Mizzou area. Well, how, um, many, how many Champaign teams went down there? Well, they're from all over. Um, there was another. My husband plays with a Iowa team. You can play with a conti- uh, touching state. Mm-hmm. Um, but there was another team that had local guys on it. Um, they're an Illinois team. And I think there were seven teams total in that bracket, 70 and over. And then after today, after last night, then today come in the, the younger guys, the 60 and 65s. So they put those on the weekend because they're still working, a lot of them. Well, the thank you for that information. That That's very mm-hmm. interesting. But, you know, we're seeing things like ever since the the uh, the Floyd incident in which he was killed uh, by the policeman, we've seen people just disregard the the uh, pandemic pretty much and in, in favor of the marches that uh, that are all over the country. It's kind well, of, I will say, uh, Lauren, as we were on Interstate 70, there were uh, admonishments on the radio, KMOX, um, about marches and how some streets were blocked off, but the interstate, as far as the marches and the protests, that was not a problem. We did have a friend supposed to go out to Colorado via Minneapolis and pick up another friend, and he completely changed this. Well, I think he canceled it all. Because someone said to us, aren't you worried about, you know, running into? And uh, we had no problems with that. Uh, But you're right. Um, The uh, hotel was a little bit lesser than uh, we kind of expected, but we sanitized everything when we went in. And we there two nights. We didn't have any... um, room service so we didn't have to do it again and then we left so it um it, it worked out well i thought well sherry thanks that's good information we appreciate you taking time to call it is nine ten. let's go back to the phones and say hi to joe in champagne what are you going uh, what's going on joe hi i always enjoy your show uh i'd like to bring up uh, a couple of items from the sports news of late that I think the News Gazette was either slow in covering or, uh, in fact, didn't cover at all and, and get your reaction, if I could. Uh, the first is uh, the death of Tony Yates. Now, I think, Lauren, you wrote an excellent column about Tony. Uh, you knew him personally and certainly had a complete understanding of the important role he played in helping uh, lift Illinois out of the basketball doldrums in um, the early 70s. Uh, an outstanding column. Now, it did appear two weeks after he died, uh, which I don't have a problem with. But my concern is that the News Gazette did not publish any um, uh, uh, sports uh, col- uh, uh, news article about uh, about his death uh, before that. I think that uh, within two or three days of his death, that uh, the Gazette should have had something just informing their readers that he had died, I think probably many of them didn't know that. So um, I, I think that uh, they were a little slow in, in getting to that. Well, yes, that's true. I, I called them the day that he died, and I made three calls, and uh, 
and uh, I expected uh, something, but I think it was um, basically uh, was was overlooked. And uh, I, yeah. I only write once a week, so uh, sure. No, I, I no, read, and, and I had a column yeah. already planned for that week, sure. and I just thought, and, and, I, and had they done something, I don't know if I would have done anything. I, you know, I just felt like I had yeah. to do it. Yeah. Well, once again, let me say, I I thought your column was was absolutely outstanding about him. So uh, my second concern is um, with the rather substantial sanctions the NCA handed down a little over a week ago to Stephen F. Austin. Now, as far as I know, that has not been mentioned in the Gazette. Um, from 2013 to 2019, 82, and mm -hmm. I think that's a big number, 82 ineligible athletes yeah. uh, at Stephen F. Austin participated in men's basketball, football, baseball, and women's softball. Yeah, administrative and mishandling of the academic uh, responsibilities. Yeah, well, as a result, 289 victories uh, at Stephen F. Austin have been vacated, mm -hmm. uh, including 117 in basketball. Mm -hmm. Three basketball conference championships have been vacated, mm -hmm. as well as uh, uh, their NCAA participation in 2016. Mm -hmm. um, and I think they are also required to return half the money from that 2016 NCAA appearance uh, uh, to the NCAA. But it seems to me just the sheer magnitude of that would make it a newsworthy story, but of course, as we all know, there is a local connection. Yeah. Um, I think it's fair to say that Brad Underwood rose to national prominence as a result of his three very successful seasons at Stephen F. Austin yeah. from 2013 to 2016. And now 57 of his wins, including one in the NCAA tournament, have vacated, and two of his conference championships. Right. And it's, it's just a, a head-scratcher to me that uh, the Gazette has decided that this is not a newsworthy story. Well, I, I can't answer what happened there. I just can't answer. I don't know. Mm-hmm. Um, so, at any we, rate... We've certainly uh, discussed it here on the show. <laughs> I can tell you that. Uh -huh. Well, I might. I don't hear every minute of the show. I usually hear. I, perhaps I missed that. But at any rate, um, I, I think it's a little disappointing that the Gazette has not uh, not touched that. So I guess that's all I have to say. Uh, thanks for listening to me. And as I say, I do enjoy your show. Mm -hmm. Joe, thanks for the call. We appreciate it. Uh -huh. We'll take our first uh, time out here momentarily. Here's our guest list, guest lineup. I mentioned Jim Benson from the uh, Panagraph in Bloomington. He'll join us shortly. Bob Ligashevsky, the special teams coordinator for Illinois football, will join us at 9.30. Dion Thomas at 10 o'clock. David Kaplan about 10.15, 10.20 in that range. And Brian Randall, who uh, now works for the Minnesota Timberwolves after about a 10-year career of playing professionally overseas, will join us about 10.40 this morning. All the way, the phone line will be open. This is Illini Pella Saturday Sports Talk, and we're back after this. Welcome back to the show, Illini Pella Saturday Sports Talk with Lauren Tate. I'm Steve Kelly, and we are here as usual until 11 o'clock, 356-9397 is the phone number if you'd like to join us. Our first guest in our lineup of five guests or so this week is uh, Jim Benson, longtime sports writer and columnist for The Panagraph over in Bloomington. Good morning, Jim. How are you doing? Good, Steve. How's it going? 
We're doing pretty good. I'm not sure about the uh, connection on the phone. We'll uh, see how it goes. We might need to call you back. But we'll see if that uh, clears up a little bit. But we wanted to talk to you a little bit about Illinois State football. You're close over there, and you cover uh, the Redbirds. And, of course, everybody knows that's the scheduled uh, season opening matchup, Illinois and Illinois State, on September 4th. How are things going at ISU through these uh, last couple of months? Well, like everybody else, Steve, they're just kind of like in a waiting pattern almost. Uh, I know over at Illinois, they've um, resumed workouts for the the football teams and the and the basketball team. Uh, they haven't officially done that yet over here at uh, ISU. They're still kind of working through some things. Um, kind of sounds like it'll it'll probably be later this week or just early uh, next week where they where they let the uh, student athletes come back on campus. Um, they're really excited about the football team here. Obviously, they they finished last year on a on a pretty high note. They got to the quarterfinals and they went up to North Dakota State, which is obviously uh, the Alabama of FCS. And they basically, without their starting quarterback, even in the whole playoff run, they lost nine to three in a really a defensive slugfest. Uh, they got high hopes this year. Um, their defense is going to be really, really solid, and it'll probably uh, carry the team a little bit, especially early in the season. That defense was really solid last year, uh, wasn't it? Didn't they have over 50 sacks on the season? Yeah, they did. They had uh, 52 sacks, which was uh, second in FCS, and I, I think they finished in the top 10 in eight different national defensive categories. And so they and they had nine guys who started that game at North Dakota State in, in December back. And a, and a couple others, uh, Brock Speck always, you know, usually gets a couple um, transfers that he can plug in right away. So yeah, they're really uh, they're really pumped up about the defense. Jim, this is Lauren. What's the uh, situation with the school? Have they done any? I'm I'm not the athletic department, but the school itself in terms of furloughs or cuts or salary reductions or anything uh, along those lines. What's what's happened there? Illinois State, Lauren, has not done any furloughs or pay cuts across the university. Um, they've done a really good job in the last several years. Uh, some other state schools have really struggled financially even before yeah. all this happened. Illinois, Illinois State has really done a great job of managing their finances. Um, so they have not done any furloughs or any pay cuts across the whole university. You know, I, I, would you bring that up about the SIU is, is uh, the lowest they've been. I guess they're down under 10,000 students now, and no telling how many they'll have in the fall. And and uh, Western Illinois is way down, and, and Northern Illinois is way down, and, and yet Illinois State's hanging around 20,000 students, and, and they've, they haven't lost anything, have they? I mean, they've been, they've been right on schedule uh, year after year. Yes, they have. They, they've been right around that 2021 20, kind of figure um, consistently. Um, and like uh, their president, uh, Larry Dietz, uh, he, he's, he's done a great job of just kind of staying the course. I mean, you know, they, they don't make rash decisions over here, it seems like. They, they kind of think everything through and all, and I think that's really kind of helped help them through, through the years and especially through this situation right now. Do you see a, a correlation between – the operation of the school itself and the athletic program being as successful as it is at that level. Oh yeah. I, I think without a doubt um, that there's no doubt about it. Um, they haven't been very successful in men's basketball here the last couple of years. They've, they've kind of uh, taken a turn the, uh, the other way. Um, but uh, definitely across the athletic spectrum, if you just looked at the whole athletic de- department and um They've really done a, done a great job. They have 19 sports over here, and um, 
I know last year, uh, not not this year, but the year before that, they won the Missouri Valley uh, All Sports Trophy. So yeah, they've they've done a great job with that. We're always wondering about how much these play uh, teams are paid because they can just come over here on a bus and they don't have to fly or anything like that. But do you know what the arrangements, financial arrangements, for Illinois to pay Illinois State on this game? Boy, you know what? I I, I don't know for sure. I wouldn't want to say what what the figure is. I yeah. I I, I just I. I should have looked that up beforehand, Lauren, and, and I don't know for sure what it is. You know, I, I was uh, in touch with the Bowling Green people uh, this week because we're, Illinois does play Bowling Green, and they open against Ohio State and don't think you're going to get $1.3 million, but that's what Bowling Green, I think, <laughs> I think that's the number that they, they're going to get. I don't have a definite figure, but I was told that's approximately what it is for Bowling Green to go to Ohio State for their opening game. Yeah, but that's based on 100,000 folks in the seats, too. <laughs> right. I don't know if that'll be renegotiated or not. <laughs> that's right. Because there probably they're won't be that many. Definitely, no doubt. It'll, I, think, I think they're all going to be renegotiated. Jim Benson with us for the uh, next few minutes. You mentioned the ISU football coach, uh, Brock Spack, heading into his 12th season. Are you surprised he's still there? Has, has his name come up uh, after uh, any of the successful seasons the Redbirds have had? Yeah, it really has, Steve. Um, and, and it seems like his name has come up more with um, kind of returning to, a, you know, the, the Power Five level as a defensive coordinator where, where he could probably, you know, make more money really than he does as the, the head coach at, you know, a school like Illinois State. He seems to he 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 likes it. Uh, he and obviously he likes it because he stayed here. Uh, but he's just kind of a uh, you know down home guy. He's from Rockford, Illinois. Um, it just kind of likes leading the program. Um, so he's it, this is going to be his 12th season. Um, I, I think if he hasn't left by now, I don't think he's going to. Um, he just he he likes this program. He likes the town. He likes the school. Um, it's just you know sometimes you go somewhere and you don't realize how good you had it where you had it before. And I think Brock said that's kind of part of his life where he, he's very happy and very content. You know, you mentioned the schools and, and the high schools over there and the normal schools in particular in Bloomington. What, what has been the secret to the success that they've seemed to be having in athletics? I ask because right now Central Centennial and Urbana are about as low, particularly in football. Well, they're the lowest they've ever been this last season. What's, what has kept them going, and and what do you see happening over here? Boy, that's a that, boy, that's a good question, Lauren. That's a good question for early in the morning. I tell you what, I'm not <laughs> sure if I'm a, <laughs> I'm awake to answer that quite this early. Um, I, I think one of the big things, Lauren, is that they have coaches here even through the uh, lower levels um, of, of the high schools. They stay here. They 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 don't come and and they don't leave after a year or two. I, I really think that's kind of one one of the the big keys. Um, we're a pretty white collar community over here, obviously state farm, uh, country companies, um, parents are very heavily involved in their children's activities, you know, growing up, um, through softball leagues, uh, you know, little league baseball, um, soccer, um, you name it, volleyball. Um, and I, I think that's one of the big keys. And, the, and even at our high schools, um, our coaches seem just to stay, they just stay, they, they don't leave. Um, they like the community, they like the lifestyle. And I really think that's kind of one of the keys to, like you said, I mean, the athletic success of, of the Bloomington Normal uh, High Schools, and you can even include uh, uh, Central Catholic High School over here, which is always very successful, and, and University High School, which is very, very successful on uh, the high school level. Um, coaches stay. They, they, they just love it here. They, they get here, and, you know, a lot of times you see, you know, coaches, you know, flee for the 
the next job, even high school coaches and all that. Not here. It just seems like they, they kind of stay and, and enjoy everything. They enjoy the lifestyle. I think they really enjoy the community. Speaking of the community, what, what about enrollment at, at those schools? Is it increasing? Is it staying steady? Are people still moving into the Bloomington Normal community? You know what, Steve? It's it's stayed about the same. Um, State Farm they've 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 uh, kind of I don't I don't know what the word is. Um, they they don't have as many jobs here. Uh, it's about the same. State Farm's put up regional hubs across the country where mm-hmm. maybe they would have been here before. So I think that's kind of not kept it from increasing. But but the population level and the high school levels, I mean, pretty much they've stayed the same. I know Central Catholic's down a little bit, but I think that's to be expected from a a parochial school, um, but the other ones are, are, you know, you know, normal community has over about 2,000 students right now, and um, and they've stayed pretty consistent there for the last several years. So, um, yeah, no, it, it's it's stayed pretty consistent. What are you hearing about the IHS, IHSA's upcoming decision and announcement about the uh, state basketball tournaments? We expected to hear something in April that everything hit. Now maybe it will be in June. What uh, what are you hearing? What do you have a gut feeling on what might happen there? You know, I really don't, Steve. Um, boy, I wish it goes back to Champaign. I'm kind of I'm like you guys. I, I think the state tournament belongs on a college campus and not in the middle of a downtown area with uh, businesses all around there. I, I I always thought when I was growing up that was part of the reason of having a state basketball tournament is so students, uh, high school students, could could go to the college town and kind of or college campus and kind of look around and see. Um, we all know, obviously, why it left. I think uh, the price gouging over there, it, it was pretty bad. Let, let's face it, you know, hopefully everybody's learned their lesson over there. Um, but I, I I don't get a feel which way they're going to go. The, the, the administration has changed over there, obviously, since uh, it first moved to Peoria. Um, so I, I'm not sure. Uh, I know one of the big things about Peoria when it first started was the uh, the fan experience and all that. And, and to me, that's kind of waned down a little bit. I don't think that's as big a key as it was in, in the past when, when they first moved it in the mid-'90s. So uh, I don't know. Um, it, it'll be interesting to see. Um, like I say, I, even with the girls' state tournament coming over here to ISU, um, I just think that these tournaments belong on college campuses and not in the middle of a downtown area. That's Jim Benson from the Panagraph in uh, Bloomington. Uh, good to talk to you, my friend. We'll probably check in with you maybe as we get closer to that Illinois State-Illinois football game after you've seen uh, the Redbirds a little bit in practice. But thanks for your time this morning. All right. Thanks, guys. Uh, I see you have a heavy-hitting lineup here. Uh, I'm glad to lead the way. Yeah, you're the <laughs> lead-off better. Jim. Sounds like, uh, sounds right. like uh, <laughs> ISU is, is right on schedule as far as football is concerned, maybe running just a little bit back. But uh, good to hear from you, Jim. Thank you. All right. Thank you, guys. Take care. You too. Uh, we approach 930 WDWS Champaign-Urbana. We'll turn our attention to Illinois football after uh, this break coming up. We'll talk to Bob Ligashevsky. He's the special teams coordinator. He's got a group of uh, outstanding people, including a punter Blake Hayes and kicker um, McCourt as well, James McCourt. We'll talk about those guys and more on Illinois football coming up. Stay with us on Illini Pella Saturday Sports Talk. 932, Illini Pella Saturday Sports Talk with Lauren Tate. I'm Steve Kelly, and we're with you as always until 11 o'clock. Phone line is open, 356-9397 is the number. Let's talk some 
Illinois football now as we welcome to the program special teams coordinator Bob Ligashevsky. Good morning, Coach. How are you doing this morning? Good morning, Steve. I'm doing great. Good morning, Mr. Tate. Good morning. Calls you Mister. He like that. <laughs> he knows what he knows where his bread's buttered, right? He just that just means old. <laughs> Bob, let's talk a little bit about uh, the last couple of months and how how different this has been and how things have changed for everybody. But uh, give us a taste of what it's been like. Uh, I was going to say in the football offices, but you guys really haven't been in the offices much. But uh, talk a little bit about how you're keeping things going from home to this point. Yeah, it's been different, uh, but it's the it's the same for everybody in uh, in the nation. Uh, but we've been doing uh, remote meetings, uh, Zoom meetings uh, from our homes, and uh, interacting with the guys, uh, uh, special teams wise as as a unit, and then also individually with the specialists. Talk a little bit about uh, the special teams guys as a unit and what you thought of the way they, they came through last year, your overall thoughts after you've had plenty of time to go back and, and look at things. Uh, I thought we made some improvements, you know. Um, I thought our kickoff coverage and our, our punt protection and, and uh, coverage improved. Um, we made some improvements with Dre Brown, you know, with the kickoff return, but obviously there's a, a lot of room to develop in the uh, punt return game. Well, Coach, this is Lauren. Uh, talk about Blake. Where has he been? By the way, he's from Australia, for goodness sakes. Where has he been? Has he gone home at all during the offseason? No, he's uh, up in uh, Chicago staying with his uh, his girlfriend's family. Uh, okay. So that he could stay in, in the country, and he's been training up there uh, up on his own. What, what kind of training has he been able to do as a punter? I mean, has he been able to get out and actually kick a, kick a football? Yes, he, uh, there's a field uh, near their residence that uh, he goes out on, and he's been doing some uh, individual work, you know, just uh, specific technique-wise. And then he's been putting the football, and uh, his girlfriend throws the football to him, snaps the football to him, underhand tosses the ball to him. Okay. He works on kicking the ball. and Then she has to chase out. it? <laughs> <laughs> well... I'm sure he's smart enough to know that he, he needs to go shag the ball. Go you know, run down the other end of the field and get the ball. So, uh, no, but he's been doing good, been working hard, you know, uh, working on his technique um, like he always does. And then he's been working on, you know, kicking the ball with the wind and against the wind in different situations. And uh, so he's uh, made the best of a, uh, uh, the situation. I wonder if he isn't one of the best two or three punters in the history of Illinois football. He uh, – I mean, how where do you think he ranks nationally right now? I know that kickers don't go high in draft normally, but doesn't he have a shot at the NFL? Um, yeah, you know, I I, I believe he has a shot. You know, based on you know um, my background, um, but uh, you know, Blake will tell you that uh, he has some things that you know he wants to improve on. Uh, every year is a new year. He'll he'll be focused on. Uh, you know, doing whatever he can in the, in the punt game to help the team win, uh, and also working on working as a holder. What what uh, what do you see the areas that he needs help uh, work on? I mean, what specifically? Well, if you look at some of the the, the kicks, you know, uh, we'll work on you know our our distance, our hang time, and our direction, you know, uh, and then uh, you know achieving those um, techniques, you know, in the conditions also, you know, working on. You know, uh, kicking in into the wind with the wind, 
you know, uh, away from the returner, you know, and then trying to just match and be consistent with hang time, distance, and direction. Talking things over with Bob Ligashevsky, the uh, special teams coordinator for Illinois football. Take us back to the uh, recruitment of Blake Hayes. How did you guys find out about him in the first place? Um, well, um, we were able to make contact with the, uh, you know, Pro Kick Australia. Um, we have a relationship with the guy that um, runs um, uh, kicking service uh, for Ray Guy. I've had some specialists in the past that <clears throat> I've interacted with them, but uh, through Pro Kick Australia, we were able to, with Nathan Chapman and Johnny Smith, we were able to uh, um, visit with them. We did a lot of um, FaceTime, uh, you know, all, all different times of the day. Uh, we actually went over there and, and watched some guys kick, and then, uh, um, you know, we uh, were able to identify Blake, and uh, we were fortunate enough to, that he uh, uh, became part of our program. What is it about Australian kickers, Australian punters? There's a lot of them around yeah, the college football now. Well, they grow up, um, you know, like they grow up playing Aussie football, which is, you know, um, their hand-eye, hand-foot um, coordination they, they, they've been doing since they were little. And so it's uh, it's a little bit more natural for them. And, and, uh, and Nathan Chapman has done an outstanding job, a wonderful job of interacting with those young men and developing those young men um, to American football. And uh, I think – you know, uh, this year maybe there may be half of the kickers, uh, 50 to 60 punters uh, in college football now will be Australian. Really? That many? Yes, sir. Well, that's unbelievable. Well, let's get around to McCord here. I want to know what you were thinking in the last seconds of the Wisconsin game when, when you're looking out on that field and thinking, boy, if he, if he misses this, <laughs> what, what are they going to do to me? <laughs> What what were you thinking? We don't we don't think we we were thinking about you know these are the situations that we try to um, <clears throat> we try to do in practice we try to simulate those type of situations right you know we work on those and try to create those situations in the game and then uh, that's that's what we that's what we're here for that's our job is to you know be in those situations and to come through and uh, um, we just. Uh, practice those as best we can and try to create those situations in the game and uh, do what we can when our, when our numbers call. It was a perfect kick, wasn't it? Right, right through the middle. It was, uh, again, understand that uh, um, for us, you know, and James will be the first to tell you this, that it's, it's an operation. You know, it starts uh, with Ethan Tabell doing a, a great job with the snap, Blake Hayes getting the ball down. You know, the timing of the operation that we work on all the time, and James coming through with a, an outstanding kick. Uh, where has uh, Blake uh, been, by the way? Uh, I'm sorry. Where has James been? Uh, he's from Florida. Where, where has he been during this uh, summer? Yeah, James has uh, been down in, in uh, Parkland, Florida, training, uh, training at home. Again, making the best of a, you know, the situation, kicking in various places, you know, golf courses, you know, uh, fields, his front yard, you know, wherever he can get the ball down, you know, and uh, – you know, working on his technique and, and his mental approach uh, constantly, you know. Um, and then uh, he trains with his brother a little bit. You know, his brother uh, is a specialist also. He's actually gone over to Australia to train over there with those guys. So he's had somebody to train with, which has been a, a good for him. And uh, he's currently, uh, this weekend, will be uh, on his way back to campus. 
Another couple of minutes with Bob Ligashevsky from the Illinois football coaching staff. You're a native of Pittsburgh. And like a lot of assistant coaches, you've made a lot of stops over the years, but you've been here. This will be your fifth season in Champaign-Urbana. Your thoughts about uh, being in this community and being in the Big Ten? I've been fortunate to, to, to be here and uh, uh, be a part of Illinois football and work for a great head coach, Coach Smith, and um, this football staff. Um, it's a great community to live in. Uh, I've made a lot of really nice relationships and friends with the people here in the athletic department and the University of Illinois and enjoy uh, living here in uh, Champaign-Urbana. You know, uh, Bob, you've had a, a, a lot of work at tight end. And in fact, you've coached tight ends at Illinois even. And it looks to me like with <laughs> Luke Ford coming along along with Barker that the tight end situation, just make a comment about how strong that position uh, should be this coming season. Well, I think Corey Patterson's done a great job with those young men. Um, you know, the development of Daniel Barker this past season, he did a, a great job, came up, you know, big against Michigan State. Yeah. You know, I think, um, you know, through Coach Patterson's uh, leadership and, and coaching and along with uh, what Coach Smith does with our offense at the tight end position, I think uh, those guys are uh, – it's a, it's a good room. It's a great bunch of kids, and uh, I'm sure that they'll tell you they're looking forward to, you know, helping uh, our football team this fall. You've had a chance to see Ford, I believe, in, at least in practice. What what do you expect from him? Um, I think Luke's a hard worker. Um, he's got really good, you know, football intelligence, football instincts. Um, he's a competitive young man, and along with the other guys in that room, um, I think that uh, you know we got a couple good players. I think that's a good room for us, and <clears throat> they'll help us, uh, you know, in uh, offensively and and then and also special teams wise. Some guys are back on campus. Others are preparing to come back. And your conversations with them on these voluntary workouts, what kind of responses are you getting? Is pretty much everybody anxious to come back? Or do some of them have their uh, their thoughts about, you know, maybe I'll wait and come back a little bit later? I think all our, our guys are anxious to get back on the football field and play football. I mean, that's, you know, part of who they are. Um, and I think they're all <clears throat> anxious to, to get back together, get with their teammates. Um, they're looking forward to, um, you know, this football season. So I, I think as a whole and as a unit, our, our guys uh, enjoy being around each other. They love each other. They, they care about each other. They're looking forward to getting back together, getting work, um, getting this team together and uh, um, getting ready to get back on the football field and, and uh, do some good things this fall. Bob, in, in forming your special teams and your coverage teams and your blocking teams and all this, how do you work in or how do you feel it's appropriate for you to use regulars, regular players, you know, from the, the offense and defensive units or, or as opposed to reserves that, uh, you know, that maybe just be, uh, would be special teams only? Well, we look to get, you know, the, everybody involved in special teams. You know, it's some – some way or another, everybody in the room is going to help us on special teams, and it could be whether they're in the on the first team or the second team, you know, helping us in the game, whether they're helping us in practice or in the walkthroughs in the meetings. So everybody will be involved in helping us uh, develop our special teams unit. But as far as the guys that are going out on the field in the games, how you know if I'm an offensive lineman, for example, I'm let's say I'm Palshevsky, and I'm playing every down, you know, all this whole season, I'll play every down I can as long as I'm not hurt. Uh, how much How much can you 
how comfortable would you feel using him on maybe more than one special teams? Yeah, we have to be smart about how we handle, the, you know, their their reps and and uh, and uh, and the game, so that you know they can always uh, be doing what's best to help the football team. So we'll evaluate <clears throat> the young men on the team and how much they're playing offensively and defensively, and make sure we got the the guys out there in the right position to, you know, give us the, the you know the best uh, opportunity to win. You've had some great returners at Illinois in, in recent years, and Dre Brown certainly has is one of those and he's gone now who do you see uh, returning uh kickoffs now i think we got a good group of candidates i think you know um we're looking forward to um uh, getting on the field with Kyron Cumbie. i think um chase brown you know um you know beeson you know and jordan holmes when they get back from when they get back from their injuries right there but um looking forward to you know seeing jacari norwood and and um uh, um, Carlos Sandy getting back in the mix. So I think we got a good uh, candidate, young young guys that will be in there and be able to help us in the return game. That's Bob Ligaszewski, the special teams coordinator for Lovey Smith's Illini football team. Appreciate your time. Good to chat with you, and uh, hopefully we'll get things back uh, to normal here before uh, too long. Bob, thanks. I appreciate it. Thanks for having me on, and uh, you guys stay safe. You too. Thanks, Bob, Bob. Ligaszewski with us. Here at 9.45. Looks to me like we Illinois could have the best punter-place-kicker combo anywhere. What do you think? Well, I, I would say that. I don't I, – you know, I not, think in the Big Ten for sure. Yeah, they're going to – that's a good pair, boy. You know, when he was talking about Hayes the – and, and, and McLeod. When he was McCourt. talking about the McCourt uh, kick and they didn't even consider the fact – what if he misses it? Well, it, remind, I, it, it is something they prepare for. I that, understand, but it reminds me of the movie Hoosiers when Gene Hackman said to the team during the timeout when the, the little guy that never played was in the game, his name was Ollie, I think, and he got fouled late in the game. He said, after Ollie makes these two foul shots, <laughs> and he will make the two foul shots, we'll set our defense up. That's kind of reminded me of that, just – Okay, we're going to win the game here, and that's how we're going to do it. I never forget what made me think of this, but we're playing Navy, I think, with Gary Moeller was the coach many, many years ago. We're down on that goal line. We're down a point or two or three or four. I don't know, we might maybe down six. We had a chance to win the game. I know that. And the order was from the bench, it's third and one, run for the first down, and then pass the ball on first down. So they ran for the first down and didn't make it and threw the pass on fourth down. And the ball was incomplete and we lost the game. <laughs> that really happened. Funny how those things stick in your mind over no, the years. No, I mean, they, they had orders, they, you know, they, do this and then do this. Yeah. Well, if you fail to make the first down, maybe you don't want to pass on fourth down. Right. I don't. 9.47, phone line is open if you'd like to join us. Coming up at 10 o'clock, Dion Thomas will be with us at uh, 1020, David Kaplan, at about 1040, Brian Randall. But we've got an open line uh, opportunity for you if you'd like to jump in. We'll take a break and be back with more. Illini Pella Saturday Sports Talk here on DWS. Nine fifty, Illini Pella Saturday Sports Talk with you until 11 o'clock with the phone line open, 356-9397. Thanks to our First uh, hour guests, Jim Benson from the uh, Panagraph newspaper over in uh, Bloomington Normal and Bob Ligaszewski from uh, the Illinois football coaching staff. 
10 minutes worth of open line and Marty down in Pinehurst, North Carolina is with us. Good morning, Marty. Morning, Steve. Morning, Lauren. What's up today? Uh, well, I, it's a question I think geared to you, uh, Lauren, uh, because I think it might even be before Steve's time. It's a little before my time. I was reading an article earlier this week about the top five left-handers in Cardinals history, according to one writer, and she named Breachin and Paulette and Lachine. You mean Harry the Cat Breachine? Yeah. yeah. Okay. Yeah. yeah. And I had no idea. I thought the Cardinals won those three World Series in the '40s because Musial was there and Slaughter. And I, you know, I'm thinking of all those guys. I had no idea the top three left-handers in Cardinals history were all in the same rotation. Paulette the and, and Racine, and who was the third one? Lanier. Oh, yeah. Paulette Lanier. Yeah. Lanier was the guy that went to the Mexican League, wasn't he? Yeah, I think so. Yeah, yeah. I remember those guys, yeah. Well, but tell Her me about them because I – Well, Harry the Cat was, was a really clever, uh, great control and a breaking ball pitcher, and and I think uh, Lanier was more of a power pitcher. and. Paulette was just one of the great pitchers of of our time. He had everything. He had a good slider. I don't, I don't know, uh, uh, you know, going back that far. I just remember that he was the in the long, uh, you know, in in long terms that he was probably the the best of the group. I would think. Okay. okay. I don't. Brachine was awful yeah, good too, though. Brachine. Yeah. Brachine. Uh, yeah. I I just. Uh, Born in 56, so I missed those guys, but I'd heard about them, but I hadn't heard that much about the pitching staff. And obviously, the Cardinals usually have a dearth of left-handed starters. Ever since they got rid of Carlton, they haven't had a lot of great ones that have hung around. Yeah. And I'm sitting here amazed that they had three of the four guys in rotation were lefties. So yeah. I just wondered about that. I thought maybe you'd that would have been during your boyhood, and I figured you'd know a little more about it. Yeah, them. I remember him, certainly. I, I, I think that Lanier was the, one of those guys that tried to get a bunch of – you know, they weren't being paid that much money in those days, and, yeah. and he had a chance to go to Mexico for more money, and then they wouldn't let him back in the in major leagues when he wanted to come back. Now, I that think I'm right about That explains why there was a gap. There was a gap in his service with the Cardinals, and that explains it. Yeah. So it's been a week, and we thought that last week was going to be a key week in the uh, baseball negotiations. Uh, since that time and since uh, you called in last week, uh, Marty, do you think we're any closer to having baseball? What are, you, what are your thoughts on it? I'm suspecting we probably are behind the scenes but not in public, and I, I'd like to get the commissioner and uh, Tony Clark to come meet with me, and uh, I just tell them, hey, how about we'll, we'll give you a year of service for this year, and uh, but your contracts will go an extra year. All you long-term guys making big money, they'll pick up again next year, and you get an extra year on them, so you get your full years of service on your contract. And how about however we decide to split the money, everybody, every player in Major League Baseball gets the same amount of money. You split it evenly, man, everybody, uh, for a year, for a you know half season. Won't happen, but that's what they ought to do. They ought to just say, hey, it's for the good of the country. I'm beginning to yeah. wonder now, and again, you. You know, what you hear publicly is one thing and what's yeah. going on behind the closed doors is something else. But I, I'm wondering, do the the owners really want to have the season at this point? Well, I'm a little worried that they're going to lose money, so I'm wondering if they are interested in it. The problem is going to be, if you do that, you're going into a collective bargaining year next year. Right. Yeah. And that isn't going to go in in a very positive way if you don't have anything this year. 
That's right. I mean, they need to they need to come to some. And you think about it, Lauren. I think if you don't come to some reasonable negotiation to play a little bit this year, there's going to be some hard feelings going into negotiations next year, and that's not good for anybody. There's going to be hard feelings anyway. I, yeah. Yeah. Well, they got hard feelings. You know why? Because the players negotiated last time, and they feel they got the short end of the stick, and the ownership got the better end of the deal. But they negotiated it. You know. I mean, if you if you don't do as good a job as you want in negotiation, you blame yourself. You don't blame the other side. Yeah. And I'm afraid that's what they're doing. And I, I don't like that. But then I don't like millionaires and billionaires bitching about how tough life is. You know, that's just me. Okay, Marty, appreciate it. Thank you, guys. Yep, have Bye-bye. a good weekend. 955-356-9397 is the number if you'd like to uh, join in. A couple other things that... Uh, that happened this week, in case you missed it, the um, the date for the basketball players that have their names in the NBA draft has been uh, brought into a little bit of a clearer light. It's going to be August 3rd or 10 days after uh, they have um, the combine. Let me give you some numbers that Jeff Goodman threw out yesterday in that regard. Okay. It will be August 3rd or 10 days, whichever yeah. is there. But... There were 156 Division I underclassmen, underclassmen only, who declared. 156. This is for 60 positions, remember? Mm-hmm. Okay. 58 have now allowed themselves, uh, have elected to stay in. Okay. 56 are, 58 are in. 30 have withdrawn. And 78 are undecided. Now, of the 78 undecided, Kofi is one of those. So Kofi. is Io, because Io well, hasn't. Io is electing to stay in. I think he is, but he has not said that. No, he hasn't finalized yes. himself, but he's yeah. he's going to stay in. He's not coming back to Champaign. He's 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 in Chicago. He's definitely going to. Well, he's going to. He intends to stay. Now you're right. I mean, he could change his mind at the last minute. Mm-hmm. But did you get those? No, 156, and and if, with 58 electing to stay in and 78 undecided. And that's not, not even considering the seniors or the international players. No, that are going to no, be. no. And, and just a whole bunch of guys are going to be out of luck. They're not going to be drafted. They're going to have to find a place to play. But that's the way it is. Yep. Another note, kind of uh, another sign of the times, the athletic oh, yesterday oh, oh. laid off – 46 writers, including including Brett Dawson. Yep, who was covering the Lakers. Yeah, he'd been around a little bit and, and uh, had covered uh, several NBA teams. People covering Auburn, people covering Xavier and Cincinnati, people all over the country being laid off. And the yeah, Athletic is, is a relatively new endeavor. It's a couple of years old. but uh, Three years, yeah. yeah but guys that... Uh, had had careers doing other things with with papers that had jumped over to to, oh, yeah. to that side of things and and I, I really thought they had a good product but it's tough to sell advertising anywhere at the moment and online uh, I'm not sure that anybody's really figured out how to monetize it well they had they had an influx of money put in you know venture capitalism mm-hmm. to get this thing going and then all of a sudden you don't have sports and you know, there's no way they can make it. No way anybody can make it in the in this business 
without advertising and, and, and without sports. That's like David Schuster told us uh, last month. He said, I'm a, I'm a sports writer, sports broadcaster covering games, and there are no games. Yeah. And he got laid off uh, at the 670 of the score, and hopefully when the games start, some of these guys will get back on board. Yeah, I was going to say, if the football season goes as anticipated and they have games, you've got to have people covering. I just wonder how many of those 46 will be back. But by the way, these, these are top people. I mean, I'm in this business of sports writing, and I'm going to tell you, they, these are good people. These are better than your average. That's why they got their jobs, yeah, yes. and now they're out. Moving up at 10 o'clock, it is 9.59, WDWS, Champaign-Urbana. We've uh, knocked out the first hour of the show, thanks to Jim Benson and Bob Ligashevsky for joining us. Coming up the second hour, Deion Thomas, David Kaplan, and former Illini basketball player Brian Randall. Phone lines will stay open if you'd like to join us. We'll take a break and be back with more Hour 2 of Illini Pella Saturday Sports Talk after this. It's the second hour of Illini Pella Saturday Sports Talk. Join the program by calling 217-356-9397 or send a text to the Castle Heating and Cooling text line 217-351-5357. Here again are your hosts, Lauren Tate and Steve Kelly. Welcome back, everybody. Hour number two of Illini Pella Saturday Sports Talk heading towards 11 o'clock. Phone line is open, 356-9397. And we welcome uh, back to the program a guy that's been on many times with us in the past, Dion Thomas, Hall of Famer. Good morning, Dion. How are you? Good morning, gentlemen. How are you doing today? We're doing pretty good. The last time, I think, uh, maybe we talked to you on the air was we were getting set for the uh, the Big Ten basketball tournament, which uh, didn't happen. But to my, how things have changed uh, since that time. What's been uh, keeping you busy over the uh, last couple of months? Well, you know, last couple of months, of course, it's been uh, figuring out how to continue to do my job the right way. You know, I mean, that's because the sports stop doesn't mean the fundraising stops. So we've really had to figure out different ways to continue to engage our donors and supporters and even our fans. And, and that's what we've done. I mean, we've done a great job of reaching out to people and using the, um, you know, the virtual world, I guess you would say, with Zoom and, and some of the other apparatuses to be able to continue to stay with our people and let them know and give them some information on what's going on on campus with our athletes as well as uh, maintaining that contact. What's been the uh, general reception from the folks that you've been talking to during this time? Well, thank God it's been good. Um, it's been it's continued to be positive. I mean, it's really more so everyone knows what's going on, if there'll be a football season, if there'll be a basketball season, and really to just try to get an understanding of where the university is and what the university is doing. So it's been really positive. But, you know, I'm not surprised with our thing. Well, Dion, this is Lauren. I want to swing you over to the, the, the Floyd experience since the Floyd uh, incident uh, in which he was unfortunately killed by a Minneapolis policeman. Your, I, what's your reaction to how that's been, to the response to that? It's been just overwhelming, and I just wonder about your own experience and your own feelings about this. Well, I mean, of, of course it's, it's extremely tragic. 
um, that, you know, I guess the easiest way to say is we're still dealing with, you know, a phenomenon that my grandparents and great grandparents dealt with, you know, with the, you know, and unfortunately a lot of people see this as something new. Um, the only thing that's new about this is that we have a lot of cameras while it's going on. Yeah. And if we didn't these things on camera, then it wouldn't happen. I mean, in my neighborhood where I grew up, I mean, literally, people were abused by the police constantly. I mean, I've even suffered at the hands of being slammed on the hood of cars, you know, in Chicago. And unfortunately, it happened to me in Champaign as well. And who in this, you know, who in this state didn't know me as a basketball player? I yep. mean, so those things didn't matter. They don't matter, unfortunately. And, and what I'm hoping to see, one, is that things get better, that we have a, a better understanding, one, that we're better together than we are separate, um, and that there's far too much division right now, you know, for not just for one of the races to, to get on, but for all of us to survive and be better and do better. It, it, it has to get better from this point, and I'm hoping that there's some positive outcomes from this. Well, let me, let me ask you, you know, everybody talks about positive outcomes. This, this reminds me of the funeral situation where the people bring flowers and they say all good things about the person that just died, and then when it's over, everybody goes about their business. How do you go about not going about your business after this? In other words, when, when, the, when the marches die down, what are the actual things that can be done or you see should be done to prevent this from being, you know, uh, from continuing? Well, I, I definitely think there has to be an awakening. Uh, and, I, and I mean that by people have to understand that, you know, as much as they may not, some people may not like it and some people welcome it, there are people here that are different than you are. And different doesn't always mean bad. Different doesn't mean that there's something that you need to be afraid of. So why not just embrace, you know, what is, one, all of God's children. Two, you know, in the Constitution, it says that you, you know, we're all equal under the law. What happens to that? Why not make that a priority? You know, and three, you have to brighten your life. And you brighten your life by the experiences that you have. That's the people you meet, the places you go, the things you do. That, those are the actionable items from the beginning. Now, you know, I'm not going to say I'm jaded that everyone is all of a sudden going to start singing Kumbaya. And, you know, this is a, a historical thing where, you know, white supremacists and others have infiltrated law enforcement and have been used since slavery to be the ones to, to quell any uprisings or, or when slaves would run away, it was sometimes law that went to pick them up. So we have to get past that idea. I mean, those, those, we have to get past that and start to understand that not all everyone in law enforcement is bad, you know, and I think we're getting there. I mean, you've seen several of the police chiefs and mayors and other government officials, a part of this March, and a part of the peaceful protest so people can learn and understand. I mean, my, my father, uh, or the man that I consider my dad, who married my mother when I was 14 years old and has treated me like a son since that point, was a Chicago police officer for over 40 years. Really? My younger brother was in, oh, yes, Everett Johnson. 
my younger brother was in law enforcement for over 20 years. I mean, so, and then not to mention that my grandparents, my great-grandfather and my grandfather both fought in the war. I mean, so we've all gone through the same thing, you know, going fighting in the war, our families, fighting in the wars and doing all these other things. We've all fought to make this country a better place, you know, and let's be honest and look at it historically. This country was built on the back of slave labor. I mean, it's been 400 years or 400 plus years that these, you know, different institutions have been in place. And now people, I believe, are beginning, they're beginning to understand it. And I don't know. I will say this, LT, to that question. There's something different I feel about this episode as opposed, you know, as compared to the ones before it. Mm-hmm. You know, but now people have to continue this, continue the discussion and the conversation, continue the conversation that has been avoided for centuries. You know, racism is an ugly blight on this country. There are people that don't people for whatever reason, you know, the color of their skin, their race, their sex, or whatever, those conversations have to happen. It can't be swept under the rug anymore. You know, when people go out and they have to use their power to vote to get people in office that are going to elect policies that benefit the majority and not just, you know, one racial group. And, you know, when it comes to hiring and jobs and different things of that nature, we have to embrace um, diversity. Diversity is not an ugly word. I mean, you're just taking different um, life lessons, different skills, different thought processes, and you use them to make your country, your, your company, your team. I mean, and look at all of the basketball teams and football teams. If we don't have... You know, I'm going to make it like this. We remember how basketball used to be when it first started, right? <laughs> Who wants to see basketball slow and unathletic and not fun? And not? We need all of those things to add to the top, to make everything enjoyable and make it better. And that's what I'm hoping will continue to happen. And, you know, with all of the people, like you said, jumping on board, hopefully they'll stay on board and, and continue to move forward with the right thing. But from an individual standpoint, there's a lot of things that we can do. Um, I was in an interview with Jeremy Warner, I believe it was Monday, and JT asked, JW asked me, you know, Dion, what can I do? You know, he's not from, you know, my community or one where it was very diverse. You know, I do a lot of things with the Don Moyer Girls and Boys Club. Go and volunteer. See how these kids live. See how people live. You know, it'll help uh, uh, grow or help you emphasize with, you know, some of the things that people are going through. So then you don't look at them as a us versus them, you know, because we have a heck of a lot more similarities than we do differences. And I think those similarities are the things that we need to put in the forefront. Talking to Dion Thomas, who uh, mentioned some of his uh, experiences as a player and uh, as a young man growing up, you also uh, worked on the uh, administrative side. You were a coach, you were an athletic director, and you may have answered this question with some of your previous comments, but how did you handle uh, this subject in that role as a coach? Well, you know what, and this is one of the beauties of sport. You very rarely even have that, need to have that as a discussion because this is where I believe youth 
sports, it's one of the best things ever. I mean, you've bounced a ball or caught a ball or thrown a ball with somebody that doesn't look like you. And because of that, when you're on a team, more times than not, you get to know, you know, this person and you realize that he's like you, that he's no different. You know, he, when he falls down, scrapes his knee, he cries. When he doesn't, he feels pretty doggone good. And I think that's where, you know, the beauty is. So you asked me, you know, how did I handle it? Never really had to. It never came up. All of my teams that I have coached and that I have been a part of, people got along because we all had a common understanding of what this was about. And then once you spend time with someone, and this is why I said people need to volunteer and get to know people. Once you spend time with somebody, you realize, okay, well, my thoughts were, were dumb. You know, and then you stop the generalizing of, of you know, a, a group of people. Because, you know, you know, like I know, there are bad people everywhere. Like this whole thing with the looting, oh, my God, I can't believe how, you know, I do. I, under, I understand people's anger, but I do not understand, one, destroying people's property. I do not understand um, the opportunistic thought process behind it. You know, and I've heard people try to condone it. Well, yeah, it's been an inequality and it's been, nah. We were broke as heck on when I lived on the west side of Chicago. There's no way on God's green earth my grandmother or my mother would have ever condoned going in somebody's place, stealing something that does not belong to you. That's an issue that has to be corrected. And that starts in the family. That starts in the house. The same as understanding that people are the same and understanding that you're supposed to love your brother. And then when you can do that, then all of this stuff goes the way of the dinosaurs. It's extinct. Uh, uh, Dion, what did you think about the idea of the uh, the Missouri, uh, not just a football team, although they organize it, uh, marching to the uh, Boone County Courthouse, and, and I think 62 of them so- signed up to vote. I think you're seeing some actual things happen like that that are more than just, uh, you know, word of mouth. I mean, it's okay to talk about these things, but what I, I, I was getting around – to, to you know to get asking you about what can you do specifically this this would seem to me to be uh, one thing you could do is is uh, uh, you know marching down and, and actually signing up the vote now we see that they're going to try to make November 3rd uh, a holiday because that's the voting day and I that seemed like a good idea to me I, I think it's a great idea I thought it should have been a holiday a long time ago I mean the same as I believe in, and I hope you and I think you guys will agree with me that's a that's a God-given, well, not God-given, that's a man-given right to vote. And to have it uh, affected in any way, um, I, I think, is a black eye on, on this country. So I love the fact that people get out and vote and that they these teams, both professionally as well as collegiate teams, are getting together and getting people to go out and vote. And then, and I'm going to be honest with you, I don't care who you vote for. But everyone should exercise their right. And with the youth today, they are a lot more understanding. They're a lot more empathetic um, than, you know, previous generations. So, and I think when you have that, you have a, a wider view of what the world can be. You know, when you're a kid, you know, you think everything is possible. And, you know, slowly as we get older and older and older, life kind of drains that out of us, unfortunately. 
So I want to see more youth get out and vote because their eyes are still open, even though we, you know, we as older people like to think they're not as smart as experienced, but they are. I mean, I've learned some things during this um, situation, you know, with George Floyd and the protests from my 20, my 20 year old daughter that, you know, she's given me some perspective and look at things. And I'm like, okay, you know what? I can understand it. And I'm, you know, and I don't consider myself old by a long shot, but, the way they think, the way they see things, the way they view life, I think is a positive. So I, I like what Missouri is doing, and I'd like to see more um, universities and professional teams get involved as well. Deion Thomas, everybody, great stuff. Sure appreciate your time. Anytime, gentlemen. You know, I, I love and respect you guys for all you've done and all you do. So anytime you need me, I'm here. Feelings mutual. Thanks, Deion. We'll Thanks, talk to Deion. you soon. Deion Thomas with us here on Illini Pella Saturday Sports Talk 1017. We'll take a break. Be back with more after this. Stay with us. Moving up on 1020, Illini Pella Saturday Sports Talk with you until 11 o'clock this morning. This is Steve Kelly along with Lauren Tate. Thanks to Deion Thomas for his time leading off the uh, second hour. And that first hour, we were busy as well. We had uh, Jim Benson from uh, the Bloomington Panagraph, also Bob Ligashevsky, the special teams coach for Illinois football. And as I mentioned, Dion Thomas. Now we're going to talk things over with a Chicago point of view. David Kaplan is with us from Chicago. How are you, David? I am doing well. Just running errands on my honey-do list today. So <laughs> pleasure to take a break and talk to you guys. Well, one of the things we want to talk about is we felt uh, going in uh, this past week was a key week in the baseball talks, although at least publicly they don't sound like they're anywhere close to getting anything done. What do you think is going to happen? You know, I'm the most optimistic guy. Lauren's known me for over 30 years, and I mean, you could literally tell me my team's 100 games out with 101 to play, and I still think they're going to come back, but I'm more pessimistic today than I probably have been in a long time about baseball because they just don't get it. And that's they being players and owners. I, you know, I hear people go, I'm an owner's guy. I hear other people go, I'm a player's guy. I'm not. I'm not either one of them. Because in the middle of a global pandemic where we also have had what has gone on in our society for the last couple of weeks, we've got... 30 million of our brothers and sisters who are out of work or furloughed, going to food banks, hoping their stimulus check is enough to carry them through. And we got billionaires, and I get it, they're going to lose money. I understand it. They also have seen the value of their franchises go up exponentially. And we got millionaires in players who come across, whether they are or aren't, their perception is that they're greedy, that they're selfish, whether they are or aren't, perception a lot of times becomes reality. So I cannot believe that they are willing to drive the proverbial baseball bus right over the cliff. But if they do, and it's my favorite sport, I love all sports, it's my favorite sport. If they do, screw them. Don't let the door hit you in the ass on the way out. Well, you talk about perception, uh, that that's a key thing too, because they could capitalize on the perception of uh, coming together in a time when everybody needs that, and uh, they could come out, sure, they're going to lose some money, but they could certainly change the perception about themselves if they could get this done. Correct. If they, you know, now it's, 
and I'm not saying it's too late for the game because if the games are being played, we'll watch. But had they five, six weeks ago had a hero step forward, and I had Mark Tashira on my radio show in Chicago, and Mark made $213.2 million in his career. His agent back then was Scott Boris. Uh, he would have, you'd have thought, been a player's guy. He's not. But he's also not an owner's guy. He said, look, we're in the midst of unprecedented times. And he said, I'm telling the players that I speak to, and they don't want to hear it. Whatever offer they put on the table, figure out the best settlement and get it done. Tom Glavin, who I heard on the air the other day, said, look, in 1994-95, I did as many radio, TV, and newspaper interviews as I could because I wanted to educate people because I felt we were being wronged. And he said, I was naive. We took the brunt of the hit because we canceled the World Series and baseball was lucky to recover. He said, and I'm telling the players now, you better understand that you will not come out on the right side of history if you don't get a deal done. And I agree with him. Both sides will look awful. They're going to all lose money. I took a haircut at my job, and it was significant. And guess what? It allowed other people to stay employed. So that's why everyone on our staff, when we were told, well, if you guys can do this, we can do that. Well, that's important. And baseball players are taking a haircut. Owners are taking one. So figure it out. You know, Dave, it makes you wonder what's going on when they, they announce a, 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 what seemed like a reasonable 82-game schedule. Then somebody comes up with a 50-some game schedule. Then somebody else comes up with a 114-game schedule. It's like, are they serious? I mean, come on. I mean, those, when you're that far apart, you're not even trying. Yeah, I, I don't disagree with you. They just sound so out of touch with the common person who's never going to make whatever it is a Major League Baseball star makes. They're never going to understand when so-and-so is still going to make $8 million. And I don't begrudge whoever it is, Mike Trout, for making $38 million. He's an amazing player, maybe the best of all time, and if the market bears it, that's what our society is about. But when you come out and say, nope, we're not taking any more pay cuts, we're not doing this, we're not doing that, and then you have owners who have seen the value of their franchise go, in the Cubs case, from $845 million, October 30, 2009, the day they signed the papers, to the latest Forbes had them at $3.4 billion. But that's insane money. Now, I don't know if uh, billionaires are lining up to buy a team today with what's going on in our world, but they will. It will come back. You will recoup your value. So I cannot believe that smart people can't get in a room and figure this out, but they are really offending the common person. Well, Dave, let's take you over to basketball. They're going to try to start, and I, I don't know how this is going to work. With the, if you're going to try to put uh, some of those players in, uh, in uh, quarantine for three months, but uh, how do you think this is going to work out down in Florida? You know, I, I have a dear friend. One of my best friends is the head of infectious diseases at a hospital in the Chicago area. And I called him and said, hey, Rob, what do you think about this? And he said that, look, are you going to quarantine every single person that every one of the players comes in contact with? Are you going to quarantine the bus driver? And if we don't need a bus driver, are you going to quarantine the custodial staff that are going to clean the locker rooms? 
They're now saying they're not going to let the players shower there. They're trying to think of the way to limit exposure to anybody. But what about the people that are delivering the food? I mean, they're, they're going to make the players go back to the hotel and shower there. But what about the person that has to clean the player's hotel room? It just feels like they're trying to cover all their bases. I hope they're covering all their bases. But there are those, like my friend in the medical community, who are more than a little concerned that they can't pull this off. Do you think that uh, that they will actually start? I mean, you anticipate that they're going, they've got the, the, they've set up the dates. I mean, do you see them going ahead with us? I do. They, they unless we see a spike again in COVID-19 cases, or we see a number of players as they get ready to ramp this back up and they go to the training camp setup, you saw a bunch of people all test positive, and God forbid we have someone gravely in, ill because of it. Yeah, there. Everyone I've talked to in the league, and I used to scout, you know, in that league. I coached in college. I got a lot of friends who are still working in the league that said we're playing, man. We are absolutely playing. The players want to play, which I tip my cap to them because the average person goes, well, of course they want to play. They want to make their money. Well, they've made ninety percent of their money already. Yeah. They've already gotten the lion's share of their paycheck, so they very easily, unlike baseball, who hasn't seen dollar one yet from this season, hockey, basketball, they could very easily go, you know what, we're good. I'm Patrick Kane. I've made, you know, eight of my $10 million, nine of my $10 million. I'm good. But they all want to play, so I tip my cap to them. Talking to David Kaplan, uh, the NBA scheduled to start July 31st. Do you think they could have started sooner, or why are they waiting so long? Yeah, that's a question. That's a good one. I, a good question, because I asked that the other day, and I haven't gotten a good answer. Because, look, the per capita rate in Italy or in England, a lot of them are far worse per capita than what they are here in the United States, where we've had 100,000 or more, unfortunately, die from COVID-19. And you saw Bundesliga in Germany, they're already back. Premier League starts on the 17th. The Serie A in Italy, back. La Liga, back. And so why can they get back and start playing so much more quickly and we can't for the better part of another two months? I don't have the answer to that. Uh, I'm excited that they've approved a plan and they feel like they're going to be able to do something, but it's a great question of why in some of these countries are they able to come back far more quickly uh, than we are here in the United States. Who's going to be coaching the Bulls next season? Emmy Yudoka will be your next head coach. Uh, I think there is a better chance that they have a press conference this week and announce Lauren Tate signed an <laughs> eight-year deal as the new head coach than Jim Boylan coming back. He's not coming back here because I've been doing this for a long, long time. And this is the most optimistic since MJ left and since they've had their struggles. This is the most optimistic that I have heard Bulls fans. They are literally fired up that Garpax has moved on, that they've got this brand-new state-of-the-art front office, and they're really trying to do all the right things regardless of cost if they bring Jim Boylan back and Jim's not a bad person and he knows the game and he's got a great work ethic and he's energetic 
it's just not going to work. The fan base, as optimistic as they are today, if they announce in the next couple of weeks that Jim Boylan's back, it will undo all the goodwill they've done. They'll be like, yeah, same old Bulls. So pay him his money and move on. And I believe that they will hire Emmy Udoka, an assistant with the Philadelphia 76ers, who I hear amazing things about. Uh, the Bulls uh, will not be going to Florida. They don't have, they're not going to be in this continuation of the NBA. How much does it hurt the operation not to be down there with all those other teams where I'm sure that uh, there will be a lot of negotiation, a lot of things be going on down there? I don't really think, Lauren, that it hurts them. I can't tell you it's an advantage because the next time the Chicago Bulls play a game that will count the standings will be nine months from the time they played their last game. They're going to start somewhere between December 1 and December 25. As of right now, that's the plan. The last game they played was on the 12th of March. And so you're talking nine months of inactivity. Now, if you get to the conference finals or to the championship round of these current upcoming playoffs, let's say it's the Lakers, they'll have one month from the time that season ended until the time they're back on the court playing again. Isn't that so we'll crazy? More load management. Yeah, it's crazy. So you can look at it and go, boy, the Bulls might be rusty. Maybe, but these are young, healthy, strong, basketball-loving kids. And so, yes, it'll take a little time to knock the rust off, but I think that might be an advantage because you've got a brand-new front office who will really have a time to get to know their players, to get to know the new coaching staff, and to get to know the new processes that are going to be in place in Chicago. So I choose to look at it as a positive. Others look at it as a negative. I uh, can't let you get away without bringing up the Cubs and Comcast because if baseballs did somehow come back, which I'm starting to wonder, but if it does, who's, how are we going to watch the Cubs? So I can't believe that there's not going to be a settlement between the owners and players. I told you I'm pessimistic, but deep down, come on, you can't be this stupid and kill the sport because they'll do irreparable damage. And the people that keep saying to me, Tap, they're going to come back. They came back in 94. They came back after steroids. They came back after this. This is different. This is totally different. When you've got 40 million, 35 million people out of work and you're haggling over money, come on. And so... The people I work for at Xfinity, they're like 47 levels above me that make this decision. But they made a bet not to do a deal in spring training. And as someone connected to the Cubs and Marquis said to me, boy, they made a great bet. Because it would have cost them roughly $10 million a month to pay Marquis to carry the channel. And for what? To watch old Cub games right now? And so if you look, they didn't carry him in February when spring training started. They didn't carry him in March, April, May, June. That's $50 million that they saved. So they made a smart bet. I still believe in the end, and I don't work for them, I still believe that Xfinity and the Cubs will get a deal done if baseball's back because people want to watch their Cubs. We'll let you go in just a minute, David Kaplan. We have a caller in Urbana, Ken with a question, go ahead, Ken. You're on the air. Hey, hey Dave. Uh, tell me a little bit about the firing of the Blackhawk. I think it was George McDonough. And 
who's going to replace him and what, what caused that. And my other question is, was Josh Whitman talking to any Hawk management as a silent partner to finance hopefully a new uh, arena in Champaign for varsity hockey at Illinois? And um, I'd just like to hear your comments on that. Thanks, Dave. Absolutely, Ken. Thanks a lot. Uh, in terms of why John was fired, look, John's done an amazing job. Amazing. And he's been a good friend. He was at my wedding. I know John exceptionally well. But Rocky Wirtz made the determination after three straight years of no playoffs that it's time to change the narrative around there. And I was told by someone I trust that said John did not want to fire the GM or impose massive cuts in salaries to staff there. And Rocky just said, I think it's time we part ways. John, there are no tag days for him. He makes $6 million a year. He's got three years left on his deal. He's going to get paid a lot of money, and someone else will hire him if he chooses to work because he's really, really good. As far as – I don't know who's going to replace him. If I was hiring, I'd hire Eddie Olchek and make him president hockey operations. I would promote the senior VP, Jay Blunk, to president of business operations and then let those two men uh, figure out what you do with the rest of it. Uh, In terms of trying to help – hockey at the University of Illinois, I heard that rumor that there was going to be some discussion how the Blackhawks could impact it and help it. Uh, I would love to see a hockey team at the University of Illinois. I love hockey. I've been a Blackhawks season ticket holder. I love watching any hockey. Tell me what two teams are on, I'm watching. So I hope that that happens, but right now with all the tens of millions of dollars that were lost with no NCAA tournament, we don't know if we're going to have football this fall in college. So I think probably mass expenditures have been put on hold. David Kaplan, always appreciate your time. Hope we uh, didn't get you too far behind on your honeydew list. <laughs> <laughs> you know what? Anytime Lauren Tate calls or texts, I'm in. So just know <laughs> Thanks that. a lot, Cap. I really appreciate it. This is really good today. You you're, you're especially good today. You guys are awesome. I love being on with you. And by the way, tell Lovey I had to shave my beard. My wife made me get rid of mine. Lovey looks so much younger without the beard. <laughs> Good stuff. Thanks, David. We appreciate it. David Kaplan from NBC Sports Chicago. It is 1036. Back with more on the Line I Pella Saturday Sports Talk after this. Welcome back, everybody. Line I Pella Saturday Sports Talk with you until 11 o'clock today, along with Lauren Tate. This is Steve Kelly. Our phone line is open, 356-9397 is the number if you'd like to jump in. Happy to welcome uh, to the program former Illinois basketball player Brian Randall, now stationed in uh, Minneapolis, uh, working for the Minnesota Timberwolves. Brian, good morning to you. Good to uh, catch up with you. How's it going? Well, good morning. Appreciate you guys having me. Everything is good up here. Well, you're kind of right in the middle of things up there, but uh, we'll start uh, with uh, talking a little bit about uh, your job with the Timberwolves. Uh, exactly uh, what do you do as player development coach? Talk a little bit about that, if you would. Well, it's uh, it's evolved a little bit with, with uh, what's been going on with, with the coronavirus and, uh, and everything happening now. But typically, um, I would say most of my job is on court, um, going through different skill development um, processes kind of breaking down uh, 
what individual players do, how we envision them in our offense and, and kind of what we'd like to see them um, evolve into and, and trying to formulate and execute a plan um, for on-court stuff. And then off-court, a lot of film study, um, breaking down of games and, and individual situations so guys can see you know, where they're at the most, how to be more effective and more efficient. So that's kind of a nutshell of it all. Is that a path perhaps into uh, coaching? Uh, is that kind of what's on your mind? Yeah, I, I think so. Um, you know, it's it's uh, it's been an interesting journey from, from player to this because I wasn't really sure exactly if I would stay in basketball. And the longer I went and, and, and the more I invested in, in being a professional, as it came to an end, I, I thought that I had a, a good amount of experience to, to give back and help and, and also just, uh, you know, to invest in people, not just the basketball, but, but to help young men grow. And, and it's been a real blessing to be able to do that to this point. You played what, about 10 years overseas? I did, yep. Talk about the, those experiences, maybe some of the places where you played. Um, well, my family and I, we spent most of our time in Israel. Um, briefly at the end in in um, Italy I was in Germany briefly um, quick quick trip in Russia and and we have some uh, we've got some unique stories um, you know my wife and I definitely got closer very quickly because as soon as we got married she went with me to Israel and my you know my first and second year were spent in a pretty small town um, on the side of a mountain basically so she she got her fill of me very quickly, and uh, <laughs> it was hard at times, and 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 then it and then it became probably the greatest blessing we could ask for um, early on in marriage, and and even ten years in now at this point. Well, Brian, this is Lauren. I'm going to take you back to the central uh, story of the day. Uh, you're right there in Minneapolis. What's it like uh, to be at the you know in the in the dead center of, of this uh, George Floyd uh, march and, and revival here. Yeah, I, you know, I came on the show and I said everything is good here. I, I, I think it's it's better for me to say uh, my family is good. We're all safe. Um, everything that's gone on recently has been obviously eye-opening for um, not just this community in the state but the world. And, um, <clears throat> you know, the hard part is it's it's not – it's not the first time that it's happened. We've, we've got plenty of, of, of incidences, as, you know, as, as we're, as they're now coming to light more, um, more publicly and in, in, in more of a saturated way. And, um, yeah, scary part, I guess, a little bit for people is, is having to acknowledge that, um, this is my reality. It's, it's my, my, my son's reality. Now my wife's reality, we were, we were out on the highway this past Sunday when the, when the truck came through, um, you know, so, so it's been, uh, it's been intense, but it's been necessary. I mean, these are things that, that I think it's, it's important now people are seeing, we have to acknowledge it. Um, we have to see the, the, you know, the mistreatment of, of black people and, uh, and it's just the disparity between races and ethnicities. And so that's been, um, uh, that's been a huge talking point, obviously, uh, around the world, but, but here it's, you know, it's every day, and 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 I I really hope in my heart of hearts that you know that we're going to move forward in a very positive and consistent way. 
Brian, what what have been your personal experiences? Have you had any uh, run-ins with the uh, police in in Champaign, Urbana, or or uh, in Israel, or or in in your life? Have, have what have you had any experiences like that? <laughs> I've got my fair share. Um, really? You know, I, I I had a I had a discussion with one of my friends. Um, it would have been a couple of days ago. Um, one of my one of my best friends is. Uh, a white guy originally from Morton, Illinois, who now lives in Lexington, Kentucky. And, and he called me up. Um, he and his wife uh, uh, adopted a, a little girl who's who's black and, and they're both white. And so we've had some unique discussions. She's four now over the past four years. And But he called me and he said, you know, Brian, I, I, all the times that we were together and, and I remember a couple – instances where I had an 88 Cadillac and as a as a young black man that's you know some people look and say you're you're the stereotype but that's what I had and I love that car my grandparents handed it down to me but we used to be in the car um, in college and so many times where one police car would get behind me or two police cars and then we got to go one mile we go two miles and he's looking he's like hey Brian why are they what are they doing? I said, well, man, this is, this is commonplace, man. They're running my plate, they're profiling, they're waiting for me to mess up. And this is the most passive, <laughs> this is probably the most passive example I can give you. But, but that just, I think he, he told me, he said, man, I just, I, I wanted to ignore it. I didn't want to believe what you were telling me. And I've been racking my brain, like really trying to come to grips, you know, with, with what little of your reality I know. You know, so this is, and then it obviously it gets it gets to the extremes where we have the tragedies of George Floyd. But the unfortunate part is we all this is this is the reality. Like like I said before, this is all of our realities, and and I've got more stories. And heck, my son has a story now with again with with being at this uh, you know this peaceful rally and the truck coming through. That's what do you mean the truck coming I, through? I'm sorry, I, I'm not clear. What do you mean the truck coming through? So we had, there was a, a, a peaceful march, uh, like a 10K march, where uh-huh. we went to three different sites. I mean, there were thousands of people out there, but the, the third site was um, one of the highways here is uh, 35 west, and then it goes north and south. And thousands of people marched onto the highway and, and, and took a knee or, or took a seat. And, um, at each site, we would, you know, we would kneel for those eight plus minutes that um, mm-hmm. the police officer kneeled on, on George Floyd's neck. So we were at our third site and everybody's waiting. And on the north side of the highway, a big semi uh, one way or another came, you know, came barreling through and, and went into um, the other side of the highway where other people were. And, um, you know, luckily, nobody was hurt nobody was injured um you know this man was uh nobody knows exactly uh you know what what his intent was so i'm not going to speculate that's not my place but as soon as he comes down the highway everybody starts trying to sprint off the highway and i've got a seven-year-old you know in the midst of adults and young people and he's crying and screaming so this is you know this is his this is his first story. Why is this semi coming down the, the highway at a, at a peaceful rally? 
So this is, you know, again, this is this is the reality of, of things right now. And, and he's got a story at seven years old that, that far eclipses anything I would have experienced at seven. You know, this is, uh, the, the thing that strikes me is that you were part of the 2005, 2006, 2007 era when Illinois basketball was uh, on such a roll, and every I, you guys were heroes. I mean, with, with everybody, it just seems yeah. to me that, you know, that uh, you were in, maybe it wasn't a real uh, experience. It wasn't real because you were so successful that everybody t- probably treated you differently than they would have if you hadn't been on the basketball team. Is that fair? That I mean, it, it is fair. And, and you know, that's, athletics is a little bit of a bubble, but at the same time, it while it can it can bring a lot of people together and i've experienced that in in a in a very real way playing in israel and um you know muslim christian jewish you know basketball would kind of put all of the tensions to side and pause things because people can can rally around it but at the end of the day you still are what you are no matter where you come from and and some people some people just don't want want everything to, you know, to be equal. Some people don't want that to be the reality. So even though we were, you know, on a roll and, um, you know, on a on, on a path for for making history and doing something very special, which we still did, the reality still was a reality. We were still basketball players, but we were still young black men, and and that's you know people still experience that. Guys still. Um, you know, felt it, and, and it never goes away. By the way, over in Israel, did you meet Tal Brody? I did. I, I've I've seen Tal a few times. I've I actually sat down with him last year. I don't remember what month it was, but he came up here and we went and had lunch and, and talked a little bit. So I've seen him off and on over the over the you know course of several years. A couple of more minutes with uh, Brian Randall out of East Peoria, out of that Peoria pipeline. Coming to the U of I, how closely do you uh, follow Illinois basketball now, Brian? Um, I I try my best to keep up. Not I'm gonna be honest, not as much as I I would like. Um, my first two years here in the NBA have been uh, a bit of a whirlwind. Um, came in and and as an assistant video coordinator, anybody will tell you that tell that position. It's uh, you've got long and late nights and and you kind of walk around in the fog for a period of time. So that was, I didn't get, I didn't get to follow much of anything last year. Um, this year, a little bit more with, with a role change, but I try to get on and, and, and watch highlights. If there's a game, I'll, I'll try to catch that. But um, I, I can say I probably watched at least 65 to 70% of, of, you know, post game highlights and, and, and the write-ups I would try to read. So I try to stay connected a little bit. One other question about the return uh, to the NBA, not until July 31st. Does that, am I wrong in thinking that why it's taken so long uh, to get the guys back and get going on that? What's your thoughts on that? Um, you know, that's, that's kind of the million-dollar question for everybody is, I guess the million-dollar question was, you know, are we going to start back up? And And I don't think there was any doubt in anybody's mind that, that we would, but you know, it's like we learn something new every day about coronavirus and, and, and possible effects currently, you know, current and long term, um, how to mitigate situations. Obviously, logistically, for NBA teams, that becomes a big challenge. So, um, 
you know, why it took so long, I think it's just trying to make sure that that people cover all their bases. You know, you, that, that's one thing that nobody wants in, in any line of work. You could see, you know, people are still shut down and, and working from home, and, and sports is no different. You know, while, while it, it, it does provide entertainment, you're still trying to look out for your employees at all levels. And, and I, as I saw it, that was the biggest thing is to make sure that, that everybody was, was thought of, everybody was taken care of, and, and try to proceed cautiously. That's Brian Randall, everybody, former Illini basketball player, Illinois native. Sometime when you're in Champaign, give us a call. We'd love to, to visit with you a little more. That'd be great. I'm looking forward to that. Yeah, if I could have anything back, I'd like to have the last four minutes of the Virginia Tech game back. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I've got a, I've got that one. I've got, and then I've got Penn State at home. Oh the, man, uh, was that the game that the that three pointer? Yeah, yeah, you know, I was really nervous when they announced it, when they said they were going to look that up because I thought, oh my gosh, I don't think he quite got it off. What about the NCAA championship game when you were redshirting in uh, <laughs> Augustine? Got into to the foul trouble. How close did you actually come to maybe getting in that game? Well, I, I think Coach Weber said it before. I, to the to the best of my knowledge, I think I asked to play every single game <laughs> um, of that year, redshirt aside. And I and I even told him I was like, you know, even if you need me for two minutes, put me in. And I can appreciate him. Uh, you know, not letting me have my way and preserve that extra year. But that does, you know, that always – hindsight is twenty twenty. So, you, you think it's going to change, you never know. But I think I, I probably still would have taken two minutes and given up a whole year and just to see how it happens, see what happens. Well, best of luck to you. Thanks for your time. And we'll be following uh, your career in Minnesota. And, uh, again, thanks for joining us. Thanks, Brian. Steve, Lauren, I really appreciate it. Thank you, yeah. guys. You bet. Brian Randall with us. We need to take one final break. On Illini Pella Saturday Sports Talk, we'll do that now and be back with more after this. A couple of minutes before 11 o'clock, Illini Pella Saturday Sports Talk. By the way, Illini Pella, the Pella Window Store, back to regular hours, Monday through Friday, 8 to 5. Or if you need to see them maybe on a Saturday, you can do that by appointment you're interested in checking out the latest in windows and doors 1001 north country fair drive is the location for the Pella window store they've got a series called the lifestyle series of wood windows and patio doors that provide outstanding outstanding sound control and energy efficiency most of the styles are available with triple pane glass which can improve energy conservation the Pella lifestyle series is a leader in energy efficiency with the uh, Lifestyle Series, you can choose the features that fit your project's unique style. And with many colors, finishes, and grill pattern options, you can find the Lifestyle Series windows and patio doors to complement your home and your budget. That's the Pella Window Store, 356-6474 in Champaign, or check them out online at PellaofChampaign.com. Once again, they are open regular hours again, Monday through Friday, 8 to 5, the showroom there at 1001 North Country Fair Drive. Well, a busy couple of hours again, Mr. Tate. Yeah, you know, I, I'm caught with the idea of, of, of athletes right now and, and where they stand. On, and and has, they are certainly more empowered today, Steve, than five years ago, one year ago, 10 years, 20. I mean, by within another year, they'll be able to transfer and be eligible. You got the 
name, image, and, and uh, likeness thing is going to bring more money into their pockets. And now they're they're making some pretty strong statements. I, I see where some Iowa former Iowa players are are complaining about uh, the Iowa culture. Well, the Iowa culture being what it is. I mean, it, and Ference is aware of it, and and I think that. Uh, it's just another one of these indications that the, the, the players are becoming more and more empowered all the time. That's going to do it here on News Talk 1400, WDWS, Champaign-Urbana. Thanks to Blake Landa for his help. This is Steve Kelly for Lauren Tate. Have a good weekend, everybody.